Welcome to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast with your hosts, Richard Hill and Matthew Darlitz. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. My name is Matthew Darlitz, Editor-in-Chief of the Science of Psychotherapy, and I'm here with fellow artist Richard Hill. Yes, I'm arting away over here, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and we're, we're sort of joking on that because we've got I have a wonderful therapist, a wonderful person we're talking to today, but fits into our little glove of also being a musician. Uh, And he's written this amazing book, Therapeutic Improvisation. I think we might have mentioned that a couple of times. And the (laughs) subtitle of How to Stop Winging It and Own It as a Therapist. I'm going to drill him on that one. And Tell us who we've got, Matt. Okay, Michael Elsie. He's a clinical psychologist in Tarrytown, New York, and a mental health educator at Manhattan School of Music. He won the American Psychological Association's 2019 Schillinger Memorial Prize for his essay on the link between jazz and psychoanalysis. Oh, wow. Really cool. And uh, just quick plug for people, we will be talking uh, for our book uh, always. Yep. But uh, this idea, and we'll be exploring this, I want to explore with uh, with Michael this idea of, of the science and mm. the art, you know, where, how do they, you know, how do they work together? So, uh, which is what we've tried to do in our, in our book. And uh, please, you know, rush out, Amazon, anywhere, good booksellers, something, but come to the science of psychotherapy.net. Uh, uh, if you, if you jump in and uh, connect with the academy and become a member with us, you get access to all the stuff we've got in that book and lots of other people and thousands of bits of material. So, so do jump in and have a look at that paddle on about us but i don't i want to go talk to michael <laughs> all right let's let's go across to new york and talk to dr michael alsey michael welcome to the science of psychotherapy podcast it's so good to see you it's so good to be here with you guys yes uh, richard here so uh, fantastic we 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 couldn't resist uh resist having you on anyone who wrote write, writes a book titled therapeutic improvisation uh, <laughs> all our listeners will know, oh, wow, they've probably been sitting around for, for the last few weeks while the book's been out saying, when are Richard and Matt going to talk to Michael? You know, so, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was exactly on the boil. But, but, but exactly that, your book, Therapeutic Improvisation, mm-hmm. How to Stop Winging It and Own It as a Therapist. We want to drill into that little title. But we've said a few things about you, but Michael, could you tell us a few things, you know, uh, about yourself and just what brought this book about? Yeah, it's so funny. When I think about the book, I actually think back to my college days when I was taking jazz improvisation lessons with the guy at Williams College named Andy Jaffe. And this guy was so amazing. He could listen to a recording and instantly tell you what chords were going, all the inner voicings. He could go reproduce it on the piano And he knew all the theory backwards and forwards. And I just was like dumbfounded and mystified by it. And I couldn't hack being an improviser on the piano like him. (laughs) But it turns out what he was teaching me was how to be a fantastic therapist. And I didn't know it yet. And so when I set out to write this book, I'm working at Manhattan School of Music at this conservatory with all these jazz and classical musicians. And I'm like, oh my gosh, there it is again. This connection between what we do in the therapy room and read the chord changes of our clients' emotions and thoughts and their stories is everything that we're trying to do as therapists. Often we feel like we're winging it, but we really want to be improvising like that great jazz player up there on the stage. 
Yeah, wow. Yeah, to just let us know a little bit more about um, the, the actual job you're doing there at the Manhattan School of Music. Yeah, so it was so fascinating. I fell into this job. I was going into private practice and and I just I found this, I always worked in college counseling, and there this part-time gig showed up in Manhattan School of Music. And I'm like, I can't leave college counseling behind. I'm gonna part-time it and work in my private practice. And that's when I started writing in earnest. And so the combination, the cross-pollination between these different things are what like really led to, I got to bring this together. So I work in their counseling center with instrumentalists, vocalists, musical theater folks, you know, actors, uh, you know, jazz, classical, like every instrument in the orchestra. And one of the things that I've noticed is that musicians can really get like what it is that we do in therapy so well, because they're used to following the changes of harmony changing and also locating what are the main themes in a score? What are the main themes of the composition? And and what happens, don't get scared, it's the development section. It's gonna sound a little agitated, but that's how it works. You're gonna get to the recapitulation. So there's ways in which what I saw is what, what they're doing artistically is what we're doing all of us in our in our emotional lives. Wow, that's amazing! It's, it's, so this um, this training in music gives you an intuition as to as to what is going on social emotionally. Yeah, yeah, and you know it's so funny because some people don't resonate with the music thing as well. But mm. in a way, I think one of the, the open secrets in therapy is that this is so much more of an art form and an artistic process than we give it credit for we are essentially helping people write their novels, their short stories, their poetry. We are both figuring out how to be an actor who can get in our character and their characters. Sometimes we're directors helping them kind of bring out more of their lines, but we're always trying to help with that creative new place that they're trying to go, that transformative moment. This is uh, uh, fabulous. I mean, Ernie, Ernie Rossi, my mentor, who was um, uh, came out of Milton Erickson sort of area. Uh, uh, but he, we, this is one of the things. Sadly, he passed away a couple of years ago. But talked about creative moments. Uh, that what we what we need to do is we need to learn how as therapists to get out of the way to allow the the clients creative moments. But as you're talking about all this, this music, the things and the naturalness and where it comes from, I was thinking back to some tapes I saw of uh, Bobby McFerrin, the, you know, don't worry, be happy guy, because he did a lot of that. And he would take this with audiences and he was doing something that we'd done in acting school. I was an actor in my early days. And he would sing some notes and he would go, and then pause, and the audience would all go, da, da. They'd all do the cadence, you know, t- together. Yeah. And, uh, and of course, there was someone out there who, who, was a, who was a natural jazz musician who went up to the, you know, sustained fifth or something. <laughs> but the essence of it was that there is this natural, natural flow, musical flow. We learnt Shakespeare that way. Uh, you know, the iambic pentameter is, uh, is a rhythm. And uh, once you get the rhythm, and uh, you know, sort of, um, uh, there was there was so many things of Americans trying to get you know understand how to do Shakespeare. But this 
this is something that is is very important. We we talk about pacing. We talk about leading and doing so so forth. What, what do you feel about the nature? Who's leading? Who's following? What's what's going on in that 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 musical experience? But of, the, of of language between therapist and client. It's it's so interesting. It's it's sort of like sometimes you watch these great conductors and they're conducting and they're leading authoritatively, and then you notice some moments that they're dropping and they're just enjoying a soloist or or taking it in and almost like just like courting it. And I think in a lot of ways, we're like conductors at sometimes, like we conduct intakes, we conduct sessions. And then sometimes they're also like a good pianist who's like soloing, but then learning how to comp and back up and when to pull back or when to kind of use certain kinds of, of the range of the piano. And so I think we're doing like in terms of pacing, I think when, when we think about doing a, a session, one of the first sessions, I think we're trying to figure out what am I, who am I playing with? What am I working with here? What's the range? What are the different kind of styles that this person feels more comfortable? Are they are they comfortable in sadness? Are they comfortable in anger? Are they, what like what tone colors are in their repertoire? And how can I say, oh, I'm hearing like today I heard a guy and he was talking. He was so kind. He was so sweet. And I thought it was wonderful. I thought it was great. But I was like, I want to hear a little bit more anger. I, I like I want more trumpets. I want more percussion. But I also wanted to say, I love the woodwinds in you. You have such a beautiful woodwind section. And so I, I think it's always about trying to like notice and improve the range of what we're working with. Imagining as if we all have an orchestra or jazz group inside of us, we are all built with a polyphonic mind and heart. Like we have all these different instruments. And I think one of the things that makes people confusing, but also maddeningly wonderful is that we have this richness and texture. And musicians, like especially jazz musicians, they don't get upset about dissonance. They get interested. Ooh, let me yeah. embrace it and see where I could take this anew. That's an interesting thing. Mm. Well, there, there was a wonderful thing that uh, I've got some great musicians and jazz musicians and uh, that, that were friends of mine over the years. Because uh, when people used to say to me, how good are you, you know, you're a good piano player. And I said, oh, I'm not too bad. And then someone said, no, you're really good. I said, not compared to my friends. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah. that's right. But, um, but the, you know, there were a few things they talked about. Uh, I, I remember uh, uh, Jay Stewart, who's a, a pretty big name in Australia, and he used to say in jazz, if you make a mistake, uh, the thing is you do it again um, and people, <laughs> think, people think you meant it. Yep. But it's so applicable to what we've been talking about about uh, uh, therapist errors, what we call enactments. You know, this thing yeah. where you you make an error. Now, in psychodynamic, you all go off and then have to have therapy because of transference and countertransference. You're all going mental. Uh, whereas uh, people like Peter Levine and Pat Ogden have said, "Now that was interesting. What? Where did that mistake come from? What? What led to that? What came out of that?" Uh, that error, and I think this is a this is a when you're talking about improvisation, you're not just talking about you know getting the perfect music, but but sort of almost like making the perfect mistakes. I love that. You know, it's so funny. I had that happen this morning, and it was so cool. So I was talking to this woman, and she was talking about how her parents really aren't emotionally tuned in, right? And superficially, they could be. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, someone texted me. And it was something rather like important. And I looked at it and I and I I tried to write back and keep the thread. And I missed a beat. And she was like, oh no, if you have to go. 
And instead of saying, uh-oh, I was like, oh my gosh, that was a perfect example of just what your parents do. And I saw in that moment how you tried to take care of me, how you felt hurt, how you felt sad. And instead of saying, oh my God, that was an egregious error, that was an opportunity. Isn't it fantastic? That yeah. the taking that and the the creative that creative moment, as 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 Ernie would uh, Ernie would say, and uh uh, we go. What can I? What can I create with that? Where can that? Where can that go? But, mm. but Matt, I mean, your your musical you know, background yeah. is, is a bit deeper. Yeah. I'm a player, but you're actually a th- uh, theory. So you guys have got a lot of theory uh, yeah. in your heads. What, yeah. What's the play that you've been doing, Matt? Yeah, well, I, I love this um, this idea of um, the form and flow. Uh, so we, we're seeing, um, you, you know, we're, we're seeing patterns, repeating patterns yeah, within a, a larger form. So if we're thinking of a symphony or we're thinking of a person's life, you know, it's very similar, isn't it? And um, yeah. we have an intuition about form, um, but no, the, the form doesn't necessarily, you know, we have a, a form when it comes to a, a symphony, but every symphony sounds, you know, really different. Um and so every person's life obviously is very different, but we have an intuition about about form, and and about flow. And is that something that's um, this sort of in your mind, maybe not consciously, but but subconsciously, as you're working with somebody? I think it's a little bit of both, Matthew. You know, it's interesting to me, even when you talk about music, it's so analytical. Musicians are so analytical; they're yeah. they're thinking about you know sounds in space in time and you know metrically dividing it but also thinking about relationships between harmonies mm. and th- their patterns all the time and yet you know they're also emotionally responsive to mm. them and so one of the things i think about musicians is a great metaphor for therapists is that it's it's a perfect kind of marriage of the right brain left brain the mm. best of both of those worlds because it does help for then, like for me to have had that experience of saying, oh, I just made this creative mistake and feeling it. But then to say, oh, I'm going to like talk about the harmonies that I just saw. And that's knowing the theory. And that's yeah. using your theory or theories yeah. in a way that I call therapeutic authority, which I call like the yang of, yeah. you know, the yin and yang of, of a therapeutic voice, therapeutic authority is saying, okay, I'm going to zero in on something and be discriminating about it and use that analytical prowess to give it form. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to use my therapeutic yin to give it feeling and connection. Yeah. Right. So, so yeah. that's, that's the value of uh, a therapist you know, doing a reflection on on the, the the session, sort of taking a bit of time. What uh, Scott Miller you know talks about deliberate practice. That uh, yeah. so, like a musician would do that, an actor does that, and uh, this is a really positive case for that. Is this is this something that you find yourself automatically doing? Uh, you know, at the end of a session, just reviewing the notes uh, of the thing, like you did as music. You know, it's so funny. I think, you know, the thing is, I think also we all start with a leaning. Mm. Like most of us either like really good, like therapeutic presence, like we're really receptive and, and open and interested and empathic. And then some of us prefer, I'm ready to go for the technique or drill into what's going on. And sometimes clients complain, I have this great therapist. They were really good. They listened beautifully. They like just were really tuned in, but I didn't know what the hell to do. And then I had this really great therapist. They were really great. They zeroed on exactly what I need to do, but they didn't really listen. And it's really about the combination, which is also what makes a good artist, which makes a good musician, 
is someone who's listening keenly, but also responsive. Like there's yeah. a great picture of John Coltrane while he's playing with Miles Davis on the Kind of Blue album. And Miles is playing in the background and Coltrane looks like he's deep in meditation or prayer because he's listening so deeply. Yeah. It's that kind of toggling back and forth between deep listening and actually expressing. Mm. And this is where I think sometimes, you know how you feel burnt out as a therapist, because we can sometimes be like these paid listeners. If we do this back and forth, we're listeners and players. Yeah. And, yeah. and it goes back and forth. And that's where the music happens between us. Yeah. And so I think of therapy sessions more like collaborations and mashups you know, where you're kind of trying to see like, what kind of interesting music can we make and re kind of harmonize and, and, and do interesting variations on this melody together. To me, yeah. that's a much more energizing approach and it, it, it really protects us from burnout, but it also means that we're always feeling like creative and alive. Yeah. You know, one of the things that makes music interesting is the dynamic between um, dissonance and harmony between tension and, and resolution. And, uh, you know, it, it, it makes for an interesting interaction. It makes for an interesting life. I, sometimes I think we might come into um, psychotherapy, um, you know, feeling the need to always res have resolution and have harmony. And yeah. so we leave out the tension and the dissonance. Uh, yeah. And, and so yeah. What's, your, what's your take on that when, when there's um, the, uh, I don't know, it's, it's, I don't know how, it sort of takes out the color, I guess, and the... Yeah, it does. You know, it's interesting. I, there's been an interesting resurgence and renaissance in looking at negative emotions, mm. right? You see Susan Cain coming out with a book like Bittersweet, talking about the combination of bitterness and sweetness. Daniel Pink is talking about the power of regret, uh, emotional agility, Susan David, right? Like Brene Brown, all these folks. And I think they're tapping into something that positivity is great, but dissonance and positivity is really interesting. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's interesting, like, because those of us who don't relate to music as well, I like to also think about it, like, the poets basically said that we are not one, we are many. Like, we have many selves. And I like to think of these different selves at the table and they're having a conversation, but each has sort of different takes and they sometimes can be antagonistic, but that's what makes the conversation interesting. And it is, I think it's like almost like really healthy to like spur on the dissenting voices and, and, and also spur on like the, the kind of like out there opinion or the feeling that can't fully be expressed and bring it all together and have a real dialogue. I think that's the same thing as music with good dissonance. Because yeah. we can't keep dissonance for too long. No. We want to get in the dissonance, but then we want to see how together like harmony is having dissonances lead towards consonants. Yeah. Uh, well, that yeah. was the Ernie's, Ernie, again, mentioning Ernie again, but the, one of his fav my favourite titles of, of his is The Symptom Path to Enlightenment, which is really yeah. the, the dissonant, the difficult. The difficulty is not, is not we're not, we don't want to solve the difficulty. What we want to is use the difficulty uh, to, as an indicator, as a, as a, as a prompt, as a guide, as, a, as some kind of uh, driver uh, rather than uh, where we focus our attention. Um, you, know, you know what I think is this actually interesting about both this too, is that I think we have this myth, inner myth and illusion that we should be more static creatures, right? Nice. We like to feel like, oh, 
I'm lo- I can locate, like, it's almost like, you know, when you go to a store and you have the, the map that says you are here. I think we always <laughs> how do they have, know? How, how do they know? <laughs> and I think there's a part of us in some not so secret place that wants to always have it very defined like that. And the funny thing is we're built to be much more dynamic and interesting. Mm. But sometimes instead of trusting how to follow that process and listen for where it moves, we try and keep ourselves here. I shouldn't be feeling sad. I should be feeling relief. I shouldn't be feeling angry. I should be feeling grateful. Well, And, and as the therapist, you, you're saying that I'm, I need to get them to this happiness or get to them to that. And I, the, the note I took as you were walking, we were talking before about the therapist talking, sometimes they're listening, sometimes they're not. Just this essence where we're taught is we're taught kind of uh, uh, we're looking for the point at where we take over. Yeah, and I think that's the error. Yeah, because, I think that's the error too. Yeah, yeah, and, I th- and you bring this out. What are some of the cases you've got in the book? You've there are a number of things where you show how this. Maybe we need to give it a little bit of, um, uh, you know, a little bit of, uh, you know, sort of real life form. Could you give us a sort of a one that is yeah. it one off the top of your head? Yeah, so I I, I, I once had this really interesting student, and 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 she had come in, and and she was thrown my way because she had been cutting, literally cutting, and and her roommates were really disturbed, and her resident advisor was really disturbed, and and she came into me, and and she basically like was very sort of defensive, and like, you know, I had a therapist before, and she she told me this was a problem too, and you're probably going to tell me the same, and you're not going to help me, right? So it was like really kind of brusque and really kind of pushy. And inside I was like, huh. But I realized there was a sense of just trying to listen and say, what am I missing here? And stay with the dissonance. And I wanted to say, huh, I am feeling off put by what you're saying and pushed away. But I want to understand what you like about cutting. Right. Mm. Yeah. And, And so, by the way, that's the essence of improvisation and acting and comedy is yes and. Right. Mm. Instead of no, I'm going to help you. I don't even know you. What are you talking about? Right. I was like, yes, I am possibly going to be someone who's going to disappoint you and hurt you. And I want to hear the fuller story. So tell me more. Yeah. And how has cutting been your friend? Yeah, that, I was just reviewing um, a discussion we had with a, um, a professor about hoarding. And um, she said, one of the first things you do is you ask the hoarder, um, what is the problem? Because she said, a lot of the time, it's not what you think. It's not the hoarding. There's some, there's some other thing, that's, there's some other dynamic that's going on um, that's in the forefront of their mind. And hoarding is an outcome. Um, but you can't assume that uh, you just, just go in and say, right, we're going to fix this, this hoarding problem. I don't know. No, there's, it's much more dynamic than that. Yeah. I, I mean, certainly. It's much more interesting, too. Mm. I think the other thing that this saves us from, especially in a world where we're very polarizing and easy to one-dimensionalize each other, that, yeah. that staying open, and remember how you said dissonance and staying with dissonance is so important? That's important for creative life. Yes. In order to be creative, you have to tolerate some temporary dissonance because you know something is going to emerge. Yeah. unfold and some yeah. of it is a leap of faith and some of it is the prepared mind yeah and yeah. i think i think one of the also one of the big errors um I, I think in our understanding of human behavior that when we're 
that we that we learn sort of in um, you know graduate school with uh, uh, with therapy, but I learned quite differently in in acting school, was the difference between dissonance and conflict. Yeah. Uh, that there there are things that aren't sitting well, uh, mm. and and that are you know sort of disrupting. But then there's there's actual this this fighting of uh, of, of conflict and and uh, certainly the conflicts you you want to you want to remove the conflicts what are, what I call the impossibilities um, from from their their nature experiences the the, the headbutting that they're doing with their past. Uh, and 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 then you can get down to this um, this okay, this can go when we we've just got the wrong the wrong pattern. And the beauty is uh, we have memory reconsolidation. We have this capacity in our brain to take what we thought was uh, 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 the only way to do things, and actually just through insight and just sudden moment. And this is why the creative moments go. The brain can change the way it. it it wires everything, and we can have that insight. And these sorts of things, do you do you find in your work that this this sort of aha moment is um, more prevalent, or it, it occurs more often, or you're, it's more um, more likely to occur? What, what are your feelings with that? I do. I think it's so much more catalytic. And I mean that in the truest sense of the word, that it happens faster and it happens more organically. And I think part of it also, what you said too, is that the insight emerges, but the insight also emerges with a certain kind of presence. This is the reason why I think Fred Rogers of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood was so amazing, really as a therapist for children, because he was saying, I'm going to help you with the difficult modulations of life and stay with you as a support and a witness through it. And the other thing that you said, Richard, that I think is really important, that's another misconception, is that we shouldn't have dissonance and conflict. We are built with dissonance and conflict. We are built with two essential brains, like one that's very emotional leaning and one that's logic leaning. We're a square peg in a round hole. We're built, our system, our default system is about complementarity that comes out of antagonism. And that, that right. keeps us going. That, that's, that creates that's- energetic... Activity. That's it. That's it. Mm. And and that's where I think Da Vinci's Vitruvian Man, that picture, you know, of, of the man inside the square in the circle is the ideal form, because when we can integrate those, that is divine. And that is what creativity is. But it means, and I, so I was listening to a musician the other day play this beautiful Bach prelude. It's gorgeous, you know, and it's like this intricate thing. It's fast mm. and it's difficult to do. And it's like watching a Swiss clock inside every little intricate gear but it's difficult. And I said, God, this piece is so hard because it's like a train that just keeps on going. But yeah. I said, even though it's a train, a train is a machine and you got to make it feel like there's waves. Yeah, yeah. Being human is, we're an intricate machine, but we also are waves. We're circular. Yeah. And if you can fit those squares and those circles together and create an artful moment of sharing and witnessing and by the way, the other thing is the power of that we become more fully ourselves through the power of being witnessed and engaged by another. That's why art is so powerful because art requires an audience, even yeah. an imaginary audience. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's how art sings. That mm. that um, is so so cool. What you mentioned uh, about Bach because Bach is you know there's a lot of. Um, dissonance and there's a lot of modulations that happen um, and it only works if it's flowing and moving and often quite quickly. 
Yeah. Uh, and and when you when you perceive the whole, it's beautiful. If you stop at any one point and just play that chord there, that dissonant chord, and then the next one, which is weirdly modulating that you would never think could happen <laughs> in in that style of music, uh, then it's uh, it, it's it's horrible. And I think people get stuck in a moment. Um, and they think this is their life, this snapshot right yeah. now. But no, yeah. no, this horrible dissonance right now. Um, it's it, you need to consider it in in the flow of time and um, and uh, yeah, be like a, a Bach fugue. <laughs> yeah, or Brahms, right? And the other thing too, yeah. I think it's it's also the reason I think why Shakespeare stands the test of time because within Shakespeare's characters are so right. many dimensions mm. that you don't just think about Hamlet in one way. You think, ah, oh, poor soul, he's lost his father. Oh my God, what is this mad guy doing, right? And you also think, gosh, how is he taking out on Ophelia, this anger at his mother? Like all of these different dimensions where the villain sometimes has heroic elements and the hero has villainous elements. Yes. And to see the fact that we can be contradictory I think allows us to play with more of the grayness and dimensionality of ourselves. Yeah. And that allows us to be more open to the creativity and possibility in others. The other thing that I think is really cool is that I think we learn this and we start this first as children and then we grow out of it. Sometimes I think parents are better, you know, advised to keep, like learn and be reminded from their children what's extraordinary, what's extraordinary about how we work. Yeah, because the imaginative curiosity capacity of children, the improvisatory quality of children is beyond compare. But what they don't have is the discriminating power, the expert's mind to string it together in the most sophisticated ways that we do. But I think the best artists draw on both child's mind and expert's mind. Yeah. And and of course, the child is using the, the parent. Uh, as mm-hmm. as, a, as a thing, and that's in, in, in therapy. Uh, I mean, I've always uh, sort of argued the thing that that uh, a therapist like us in the village, we'd just be, you know, sort of Uncle Michael or Uncle Richard or Uncle Matthew, and people would turn, they'd turn up with a you know with a, a pot roast or something and end up chatting. It was it's a more organic it's an organic experience, but it it's using these. Um, uh, art using drama. I mean, certainly acting uh, was there. We just talk about Shakespeare. You know, talk about Hamlet, and that idea that there are there are underlying themes. Certainly, there are things that move off to the side. And I, I know when I was doing Hamlet, one of my main drivers. You you, you find you you go for three or four main elements. Yeah. And I do this in therapy. I mean, because one with with Hamlet is is I just don't know how to get a handle on this. Uh, yeah, I can't get it to be or not to be. Is he actually, Shakespeare actually says, just in case you don't get it, he doesn't yeah. get it. Uh, yeah, yeah. And the and the client is is giving us the to be or not to be speech in their language, in their behaviours, in their emotions, and just begging us to uh, to 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 get the play. Please get it. Love because, that. Yeah, yeah. I love that. that. That is such a brilliant image of it. Matthew, did you want to say something? That's such a beautiful, I think that is the essence of therapy, of being in front of a client who's telling us there to be or not to be moment and asking us to entertain with them the, the, the terror, the, the despair, the hope, the longing, all yeah. of it. 
And to, as Rilke says, to embrace the questions along with them. Yeah. Yeah. I think we have a, we have a propensity to, to want to, because we want clarity. You know, I think we, we might want a very simplistic, um, you know, image of ourselves. And as we've been saying, characters are, are, are not simple like that. You know, the, the, the hero always has uh, an element of, of evil. The the evil one always has an element of, uh, you know, some redeemable quality. Yeah. It, it, we're, we're, we're complex. And, and so when we are, you know, dealing with a client, you know, who, who doesn't want that complexity, they just want simplicity, um, that's not realistic. Well, and even that, that client I told you who was cutting, right, the conventional method was to say, this cutting is bad and you should stop and people are concerned about you. Mm. But what I found out is that this cutting was her savior because she couldn't regulate her emotions and she didn't have support. And the people right. who were supposed to be helping her were disappointing her. And the people who were caring about her were now making her feel ashamed of trying to take care of herself. Yeah. Yep. And so in, instead of in, in understanding the tonality and the harmony underlying her feeling about cutting changes the whole thing. So you're setting up then for the resolution. You're, yes. you're setting up for the modulation into something more harmonious. Yeah. Yeah. And, and ironically, often we have to go through the dissonance first. And often we have to suspend judgment or disbelief, just like when we're reading a good fiction. Well, sometimes we have to get to a certain chord to pivot into yes. the resolution. Yeah. yeah, completely, completely. Now, can I hazard it a guess, Michael, of this um, the subtext, the subtitle? How to <laughs> stop? How to stop winging it and own it as a therapist? Just in the context of what we're saying, to stop winging it, meaning. Uh, I'm saying, so I don't have to be in charge of this. I don't have to be uh, trying to figure out how to solve the problem. I don't have to be the the healer. And yeah. I can just own my part of the experience. Uh, yeah. And yeah. I own, the, own the, the, the instrument I'm playing and own being in this musical, in this, you know, ha- this experience uh, with the client. There's this co, what we talk about, co-creative, but cooperative yep. and co-engaged. So, so winging it is kind of where I'm trying to do it on my own. Yeah. Um, it's uh, interesting because I, I, I didn't really know where I was going. The one thing I was thinking is that so many of us, when we're starting out, or even when we're trying to develop our own voice, because I feel like as therapists, we're developing our own voice like a good writer or yeah. our painter, and we have to feel comfortable in our own skin and our own bones because that's the instrument we're using. So all of us need to feel like we own it, but we often feel like we're just winging it. We're just, and we don't know why it's working or when it's working and how it's working. And I think you're right. Part of it is not just us owning it, but us also letting go that we're owning this together uh-huh. by engaging in this improvisation together. But where I've gotten the tools, just like a good musician, like a good musician can help bring out a, a lower level playing individual and help them up their game. Mm. And, you know, you kind of can hear that when someone's kind of like echoing a lick and saying, ooh, that's good, and, and helping them to expand it. And so I think there is something about sharing the stage together and I think there's something really exciting about that because, you know, I mean, I think it's exciting for the for the clients too, because our owning and sharing of our voice helps 
to cultivate and call forth their voice. And there's no way for them not to respond from their deepest, fullest selves. Well, well, this is certainly, I mean, we we actually have a, a chapter in our book at the end. This is the work that Matt and I have been doing and, and we're trying to expose a lot more now is responsiveness mm-hmm. as diff, as an extension now, as a, as a step forward from client-centeredness, which Rogers was brilliant, but yeah. it's not just about uh, exploring or entertaining or engaging, but this, this wonderful thing of this interplay uh, between uh, uh, therapist and client, which, you know, you've just... It's, it's the creative juice, right? It's the creative and, and it moves it from not only one person to two person, but also something between the, this third. I mean, it's interesting that music is based on thirds, right? Like that's what makes it go. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, responsiveness respects the fact that our psyche is dynamic. The interplay between psyches is dynamic. Yeah. And you can't, it's like, it's like talking about light. How can you talk about light as something that's not dynamic? Mm -hmm. Right. You could talk about it as a particle, but it's also a wave. It's going to be both. And I think when we're talking about therapy, we're talking about something that we can look at static and we can look at dynamic. In fact, I think Goethe said something to the effect of uh, music is froze is liquid architecture. Yeah. Right. Why do we learn diagnostic criteria? Not because we want to pathologize, because we want to understand certain architectural structures that can help us understand this music that's moving. And this this huge, uh, what I think is the great error of this black and white sort of thinking that we have in the world of people saying, uh, you know, psychotherapy is an art, not a a science. And of course, the whole point of our book is to say, no, it's both working together. Uh, as you say, left and right hemispheres interplaying and interacting, coming in at the appropriate time. Listen, I mean, the best artists are scientists and the best scientists are artists. I yeah. mean, there's yeah. no way, and that's what I'm saying, what I've learned from musicians, if anything, is there's no there's no space between the science and the art. Yeah. No space between the science yeah. and the art. Beautiful. Yeah. I think if 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 therapists approach their craft, you know, as as a scientist slash artist, it's got to be more engaging and exciting. And you're going to be, you know, you're not going to burn out as quickly. And you know, no, and it's, it's so funny. I had a client just this morning, first time meeting him, and in 45 minutes, I think he was amazed at how many connections I can help him make, and he could make. Yeah, because we can drill in the science, but the art helps us to really feel our way through together. Yeah, and 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 there's something like, and that's and that's what reminds me. I I got to give homage to my my piano teacher Andy Jaffe. When I watched him do that, I was like, how do you do that so fast? <laughs> it was the science, but the art is the fact that he practiced playing licks so that he can pull them off with musicality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and all these things are necessary, all this knowledge. I, uh, I'm just thinking of Paul Simon describing, uh, and I can't remember the particular the, the, the song uh, he was going, but he was on a talk show and he was going, and I'm playing this thing and oh, here's a bit from Bach. So here's, <laughs> here's a bit from CBT and here's a bit from uh, actually some blues guys. I put them on, I listen. <laughs> so here's a bit of, uh, uh, you know, Gestalt. Uh, and, yeah. and he said, and I've got to hear... And, uh, and this, I think, is something that's really a beautiful thing that musicians can tell us in this particular example, is he's playing away and he says, I've got to hear, and I say, and I'm not sure where to go now. Uh, 
And I think that's what therapists sometimes need to to acknowledge and embrace and go, okay, I've used this technique, I've used that technique, I've used this thing, and they all are working well and the client's liking this. But I actually don't know where to go now. Got some options. So there is that need to then improvise and interact with the client, uh, try something uh, which the client might say, oh, no, I really don't like that. Mm. And I think that's a fine thing. You go, oh, great, well, let's not do that. Let's let's go somewhere else. Uh, but But by the time you've got there, if you've only got one one module, you've only got one therapeutic technique in your bag. Well, it's going to be the same song over and over again. Yeah. Over again. I think the Beatles. I think watching Get Back over the pandemic was really interesting to watch. You know, the Beatles and how like they really had music, pop music, but all forms of music into a science of how they could marshal all these different styles and licks and then kind of use their kind of spontaneous emotional sides to bring it together. And, you know, I was reading Quincy Jones came out with a new book called 12 Notes. It's really great. These inspirational little tidbits. And he says, basically, music is about science and soul. And the soul is the feeling part. And I think, you know, when you look at masters like the Beatles or Mozart or, you know, Quincy Jones or anybody like that, there's, there's no separation at all between them. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's the way that's as it should be. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of, uh, I was with a a client and sort of not really getting very far and, and she seemed awfully uh, awkward and, um, and I had kind of, like you said, Richard, I'd, I'd sort of been through everything I knew what to sort of what to do in the session. And uh, so it was improv time. And I said to her, what, why don't we just go for a walk? And she lit up and she said, oh, yes, let's just, let's just get out of here and let's just go for a walk. And, and, wow. and so as, as we went for a walk, um, it just changed everything. She opened up. It was, um, we just had a, a wonderful session um, just uh, walking the block, you know, around out of the office. And um, and if I had have, you know, been sort of, you know, just sticking to, I don't the know, staying, yeah, the script. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because, you know, you're not supposed to just take the client for a walk, <laughs> you know, um, but that was the, that was the point of, uh, that was the improv that that really bore a lot of fruit. Uh, for that client, so yes, so well, masses of stuff. Uh, I mean, we could we could we could we could wander on forever, of course. So, but we best not because I know people's uh, attention starts <laughs> to wane around about now. But, but you know, I really think we've we've uh, prosecuted the case uh, pretty thoroughly. <laughs> of mm-hmm. just uh, stop prosecuting cases. But you know, uh, what do you think, Michael? Is, is something particular that we've not asked or not said, or or is it just this little sum up that you can give us uh, as we move towards the end? I think that there's something that we have an important role as therapists to not only teach people the science of how we work from the inside out, but also to help people see that whether you're an artist or not, it's all about finding a way to live life creatively. That that's where things really hum. That's where things really coalesce. That's where things really feel fulfilling and energizing. And that's, I think, the magic that we're all looking to kind of hold and carry and keep on transforming, right? Yeah. Into, in, and, and keep on creating and discovering new forms. If we can help people see that mental health is about that, as well as discovering and finding relief for problems, I think we'll be doing a great service. Yeah, 
Wonderful. Michael, thank you so much for joining us here and um, having a bit of improv together. (laughs) It's It's been been fun, my friends. This has been great. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm going to go and... um, play something <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> for, for a little while but but yeah so we just really appreciate um uh, your work but we, we are really grateful that you've taken the time and uh you know norton's have taken the time to 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 write this down uh yep. so that we can share it at least in this um in this this book form and now we've got this discussion here i see you've done some other discussions and podcasts and things around the world so people please look look him up michael alcee look him up and you get some great and obviously each discussion will be different yeah uh, yeah i riffed with you guys i riffed with you guys in completely new territory it was fantastic (laughs) that's cool that's cool well, us with you too. All right. So for now, uh, we'll just have to say our goodbyes and thank you very much. Thanks, Michael. We'll catch you next time then. Thanks, guys. Oh my! Um, it was it was like it was like we just met our, uh, the third brother, the th- yes, <laughs> the third musketeer. Um, yeah, yeah. We uh, could uh, we could talk music and therapy all day. I reckon. <laughs> just the way Michael was bringing them. Together, I loved his thing. There is no gap. There is no yeah. distance between science and art. They inform yeah. each other. There's there's no distance between the right and left hemisphere. They're, yeah. they're there in the pieces you're writing for the magazine, Matt, uh, yeah. you know, looking at um, uh, McGilchrist's works. We, we've got to stop making gaps between things and open up the flow between so you that, get that's this, it. This, that's, this stuff. The flow, that's right, because we're not talking linear mechanistic, are we? We're talking flow, we're talking tension resolution, you know, we're talking mm-hmm. dissonance, harmony uh, yeah. in life and in therapy. So yeah. this is a wonderful conversation. Look, the link will be in the show notes. Get a hold of this book, Therapeutic Improvisation by Michael Alsey. I'm sure it will enhance your therapeutic practice. Absolutely. So, yep. uh, yes, man, what are you thinking? Now, something else that will enhance your therapeutic practice is becoming a member of the scienceofpsychotherapy.net. That's our academy site. Uh, we would love to have you part of the tribe. We have oodles of material there for you to get into um, and to gain CEU points uh, or just to learn about a whole swathe of stuff about humanity. Yes, extraordinary uh, authors and speakers. And you mentioned the thing on hoarding. Now, that's we've you've put mm. that down. That's a course. It's two hours. You could go in there. That's right. Look at the the material, the video and written material. Answer some questions. Get a get a certificate so you can take that to your association. All the all the the sort of the necessary things. But as you say, but it's just really interesting, mm. and it's at your fingertips. Over a thousand hours of uh, of fascinating material. Yeah. You know, it'll take you years to get through it. So come join. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us here at the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. And uh, we'll catch you next time. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. For more great science, go to the scienceofpsychotherapy.com.